Uh, I have 8 o'clock, and we're supposed to start and finish on time. What I wanted to do was to start with reading three scriptures that set sort of a context, and then we'll move to the CME academic part of the program, which is what we're officially allowed to have. So, here. Psalm 51, 16 and 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Second Corinthians four, fifteen through twelve. Five to twelve. Five to twelve, sorry. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Thank you. My wife, Linda, is my reader. I'm Jerry Richardson. Uh, Let's open with uh, asking a blessing. Lord, I ask that you uh, use the preparation that I've done, the preparation that each person here has in their lives and their interest and willingness to serve you in a way that's thriving and not surviving. Thank you for this time. We pray that it will honor you. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I think this will work if I put it here so you can hear me. Can you hear me mostly? Um, I'm a psychiatrist trained in internal medicine first and then thought I would be a better internist by learning some more psychiatry since most of my internal medicine patients had major psychiatric problems. Uh, So I did a psych residency and decided that's where I would stay. I mostly do geriatric psych, and I'm the oldest guy in our department, so they leave me alone. So I get to teach and hang out with residents, and I do some hospice work. I do sleep medicine. I'm an adult MK, grown-up missionary kid. uh, So I have a long history of observing this kind of a phenomenon that we're talking about today. My mom practiced as a pediatrician in Nigeria for 37 years. My dad was a minister. I watched doctors come and go from the hospital where my mom practiced. Uh, At that time as a kid and as a teenager, a lot of time I didn't realize what it was that was involved in the going. But turns out a lot of the going was probably related to this issue. Uh, Mom just wore out. She worked 37 years uh, basically on call every night, though not she was, since she was a pediatrician, she had some help. And when she retired, we thought that she had just worn herself out. But fortunately, someone pushed to get a medical diagnosis, and she had apathetic thyrotoxicosis. So in addition to being exhausted, she had a medical explanation for exhaustion. And that's one point I'd like to have you to make to begin with, and that is, Don't always assume that what's happening is this 
until you have done a good, careful differential diagnosis on yourself or someone else. Because it's not uncommon that the, the pressure of mission, pressure of training, the pressure of mission work will bring out something that was managed to cope with when the stresses weren't that high. So you need to look beyond the obvious. One of the more difficult memories I have uh, was when I went back to the hospital where I was born and worked as the internist running the medical service for six months while my mom was still the pediatrician and uh, Martha Stewart Gilliland, who was the obstetrician that delivered me, was still there, was running a medical service during a cholera epidemic. And one of the most painful memories I have was uh, you know, people were lined up on the walkways between wards, and we were making IV fluids and putting IVs in anywhere that you could access. And one of the people that was actually one of my interpreters was just walking along helping me. And there's a young kid up here that we didn't get to before he died. It was this guy's kid. Uh, that really was a hard thing, obviously, for him, but for me to realize that even doing my very best and doing our very best, we aren't going to get it all. In fact, we know we're not going to get it all. If you were there last night, you were blessed by Dr. McCoy's uh, perspective, uh, which I think is a critical perspective. I I had six months I didn't burn out. I lost 30 pounds. Uh, it was pretty stressful for me, and it made it clear to me that that probably wasn't where I should spend my career. I wasn't cut out to do that. But part of the process of medical missions is to figure out what are you cut out to do. And is God's calling on you your own inner drive, if, or is it God's calling with your own inner drive to get there? Uh, I've been part of uh, consulting the mission boards, and it's not uncommon that you get really fantastic candidates who really are interested in the excitement and the travel. That won't last very long. And so looking beyond that to what is, what is the deep calling. What I want to do today is to do an academic portion, which is really what we have to do to do the CME, and this is mostly going to be academic. And then those are the first 60 people, I didn't have enough faith, the first 60 people got a copy of two handouts, and the link to those handouts are going to be on what's uploaded to the website for everybody that didn't get a handout. That's the practical application, and we can spend time talking about that depending on how far you let me get and the rest of it. The practical applications, uh, this website that... Uh, uh, you'll see, and it'll be on the upload, and I'll get to that so you can at least write it down, those of you that don't like to go to websites to look things up, is uh, an incredible resource for missionaries in terms of c caring for themselves and their families. And um, I would encourage you to spend a lot of time surfing that, looking at it, and learning from it. So... We could stop after this slide if we wanted to because this is really the science behind burnout. If you have emotional exhaustion, not physical only, emotional exhaustion, if you start to depersonalize what you're doing, particularly your colleagues and your patients, and if you start to have a radical reduced sense of personal accomplishment, you're approaching burnout. Now let me see. Why don't I have everybody on this side just stand up for a minute. This is the percentage of a group of missionaries, medical students, residents, career uh, physicians, and missionaries who will burn out during their career. 40%. Thank you. I hope it's not you, but I just needed the example. So it's not a trivial issue. It's not something to be ignored. It's not really a psychiatric issue. There's not a psychiatric diagnosis of burnout, uh, which probably maybe is a good thing, because if it's a psychiatric diagnosis, people won't get help for it. Uh, 
but recognizing it as something that's important for you to do. Now, another take-home point. If you want to remember one name to look up in the literature to learn about burnout among medical students, residents, and physicians, it's Tate Shanefelt. Tate's a hematologist-oncologist who I had the privilege of watching sort of grow up uh, in his hemoc career in Rochester. He and his team have collaborated on an incredible amount of study of physician health and physician burnout. And this is the bottom line take-home that I just want to emphasize quickly. Uh, the references, again, will be in, in your what you can get from the online site. Basically, in medical students, he studied medical students in a lot of ways, but his group tried to compare minority and non-minority medical students to see if there was a difference in burnout. And the overall rate was similar, 43 to 45%, not a huge amount of difference. The minority students had a higher percentage who met the criteria for a low sense of personal accomplishment. And his article you might find interesting because it teases out some of the important things in there. Residents. Again, 40%. This was, I think, a group of internal medicine residents. Just remember the term 40% and try not to say, uh, I'm going to be fortunate if I don't do anything to be the 60. Practicing surgeons. Again, this Hemont guy formed a relationship with the, the American College of Surgeons, and they sent out a survey to, their, to the American College. 30% return rate. Again, had been in practice for quite a while, worked a lot. Overall, 40% of the responding surgeons were burned out. These are U.S. surgeons. So basically, the, and the quality of life was not very good. I hope I'm not pushing some of you away from medical school while you're hearing these numbers. From the academic standpoint, the ACGME, the one who, the group that decides whether we graduate from our residencies, um, has recognized this as a really serious problem. And this was an article by the executive director of the ACGME not too long ago, again, using a lot of resources, one of which was Tate uh, Shanefelt's and his colleagues' research, that basically said, if we're going to be, if we're going to have solid well-being and be safe, it's one thing for us to get something done. It's another whether we do it well, uh, that we need to, have established relationships that are helping us refill. We need to have, this is, a ma- this is a major mainline journal, religious beliefs and spiritual practices that help sustain us. We need to practice self-care, and this is where most of you are going to have the biggest trouble because this bunch of people is usually the least likely bunch of people to do this. And we'll talk about that in a little bit more. And then they say having a life philosophy. Uh, basically, you know, who am I? Why am I here? What am I doing? And what, are, what happens if I keep doing what I'm doing or if I can't keep doing what I'm doing? So in the burnout research, for those of you that want to look into this more, there's a long-stand long-standing Maslitz burnout inventory, which is kind of the gold standard for studying this. But it turns out, and this is some of the factor analysis work that Tate and his colleagues have done, that emotional exhaustion or depersonalization, either or both of those are quite sensitive and relatively specific for identifying burnout. And the problem is that we are usually the least capable of identifying it in ourselves. And we'll talk about some principles and the handout that you have and that will be, those of you that didn't get a handout, it'll be on the link. Uh, really gives a lot of practical things that you can do. Uh, the proposed model, it's a busy slide, but this is the one that was uh, available, of causes and consequences of student uh, uh, distress are obvious. 
again, the, the, the differential in each category is important, but they're personal factors, who we are, what we're designed to be, what has us succeed, what is it that gets us ahead in our medical careers, uh, the environmental factors, the system, the system we work in, and then the consequences, consequences personally and consequences professionally. Um, going back and looking at this step by step is something I suggest you do when you have time because you will be able to figure out what are your main risk factors that you need to pay attention to, which may be different than the person next door. Okay, that's all of us in North American medicine so far. Now, add your cross-cultural uh, missionary calling. In the 70s, uh, Dorothy Gish did one of the first good studies, and this is a list of the hierarchy of ways that were very stressful. You've heard this before. Number one, confronting others. We aren't, most of us, good confronters in healthy ways. And then other missionaries, separations, etc. Marjorie Foyle, whose story I wish I had a time to tell you, but if you just remember the name Marjorie Foyle, look her up and read her books. Uh, she's the grandmother of member care, basically. But when she was in her 70s, she's a physician, uh, missionary physician, then went back and spent, after she retired, another 20 or 30 years doing member care. Uh, in her 70s, wrote her Ph.D. thesis on the topic of uh, missionary mental health. Uh, but occupational stress comes into rank number one among general missionary stresses uh, by the, the, uh, the 1990s and early 21st century. And this is the subset of things that she identified as being the most important occupational stressors. That is the work itself. No surprises here. Overload, technical problems, professional isolation. Um, working conditions and then relationships. Uh, relationships are something that most of us develop a great ability with our patients because we have to. We don't all do as great in developing relationships with our colleagues and our teams. And our colleagues and our teams will actually be those that are most affected by what we do and who can help keep us healthy. But it's a skill that if you're going to be in missions, unless you are truly going to be a Lone Ranger Wild West person, only person at a place out in the bush, which is not common anymore. One of the skills you need to start developing is working with colleagues in a way that is thriving for everybody on the team. If only one person on a team does well, that person has not succeeded. You need to get that in your mind very clearly. Of course, marital stress, now there are more dual career families in medicine, even in medicine overseas. Uh, the stress of loneliness and the singleness issues, there are other workshops on this that maybe you've attended. And reentry is still uh, an important stress, uh, both temporary and permanent. The most recent documentation is done, was done in a research project that our Christian Medical and Dental Association Christian Medical and Dental Education Commission did surveys in Africa and Asia of medical missionaries attending our conferences. It's a, it's a long survey that has lots of other data. I was allowed to get two mental health questions in. So that's all we got because it, that was all that was available. But basically, we, we didn't get to ask the burnout question, but we did get to ask the anxiety and depression questions. So these are Missionaries, not first-termers, the average duration of service, I think, was 10 years. People who had made it and were sustaining. This is their statement. 50 to 60% of medical missionaries serving longer than one term endorsed a level 4 to 5 out of 5 anxiety at some time during their service. Now, this is not just a single panic attack. This is enough to say... 
this was a significant problem for me at some time during my service. Four out of five is a lot. Depression, 30% report a high level of depressive symptomatology at some time during their service. Again, more than a few days or even a, a week or so. It's pretty sobering when you think about it. This is somewhat more than the general medical population in this country. So it is true that when you add all of our vulnerabilities as medical people to the cross-cultural uh, calling, that our risk goes up. Part of the topic that we're supposed to talk about is prevention. And I prefer to use the old terminology of primary, secondary, and tertiary prevention, the public health model. Primary prevention, as you know, is what can we do to not have a problem emerge. Secondary prevention is what do we do when early signs or symptoms emerge to reduce the risk or hold back the progression. And tertiary prevention is when the horse is out of the barn, now what do we do? Uh, unfortunately, Tertiary prevention is the least effective way to deal with issues of burnout and stress. By that time, most of the time, when someone has crashed and burned, uh, we've lost them. Not always, but often if we get to that point, we have lost them from service. And so one of the big jobs is to get there early for ourselves and for our colleagues. By the way, uh, if you're not familiar with the biopsychosocial spiritual model, just tuck that away and add it to your thinking when you're thinking about any comprehensive problem that affects human beings, from hypertension to cancer to depression, anxiety, to tuberculosis, to HIV, to burnout. Uh, if we neglect any one of these at least four dimensions of human beings, we're neglecting it. It's not just that we're too busy to get to it, but I consider it to be neglect if we are not thinking about, at least, all four of those dimensions when we're dealing with ourselves or with other people. And the, it's a simple model. It's not that complex. It basically says my genetics, my past history in my life, has led to a certain predisposition that I have in my life, all kind of predispositions, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. That's sort of who I am now. And has led to certain processes that I'm living in the middle of now, the present processes of um, my life. And all of those things together, and all the dimensions, biological, psychological, social, and spiritual, are what is carrying me through today, what I will carry with me through today, and what I carry into tomorrow. And neglecting any one of those, in my opinion, is neglect. Neglecting ourselves. Now, there are a lot of false tensions uh, that are built up in this issue of learning and studying about burnout. I'm not going to go through all of these. But, of course, one of the first ones that you've always heard is, I'd rather burn out than rust out. Uh, to me, that's kind of a, a false dichotomy. There are people who rust out on the mission field, uh, not many. Uh, there are people who, I remember when we were helping out in Papua New Guinea, develop what used to be called chronic nervous exhaustion. There are other people who developed a mysterious disease which never got diagnosed anywhere, but they took to their bed on the mission field and they were basically took to their bed the rest of their careers, including when they were back in the States. A significant portion of those, I believe, didn't have an identifiable primary medical problem. A significant portion were people who had truly burned out but never acknowledged it, and no one ever confronted it enough to have it dealt with the way it should have been. We have this dichotomy about balance and imbalance. To me, that's a crazy dichotomy. I have another talk that I give at times uh, about the craziness of the idea of work-life balance. Make no such thing. 
balance is a terrifying concept. Picture Nadia Comaneci on the beam. That's perfect balance. Well, only Nadia Comaneci. Oh, that's a generational thing. Who's a more recent person who's a... Uh, uh, anyway, who's a more, a more recent... You get the idea. Is that to, to, to be a perfect balance beam person, there's maybe one in a gazillion who do that. The rest of us are going to weave around in and out of a balanced life. And to have the pressure of feeling like I always have to get it right is just too much pressure. It's not real. It's not human. Uh, there will be times when we're way over here. But if we, make, if we deal with that by getting back over here for a period of time, we can thrive and not just survive. The rest of the false tensions I've listed here, they're not... They're really dichotomies that we build up that I think are misleading in terms of how we think about ourselves. We still we have a lot of either-or thinking. One of my favorite authors uh, about this topic is a theologian um, whose name is easy to remember. It's Klein Snodgrass. That's a memorable name. And he wrote a book called Between Two Truths, talking about how God has... He believes purposely left us in living between living intentions in our life. Grace and works, faith and works. We have the Wesleyans and the Calvinists. Wherever you want to go with that, uh, he believes, and I believe too, that God really doesn't want us to get it completely anymore. We can get the Trinity completely. What kind of God would we have if we could really completely understand him? He tells us enough, but these tensions that we create are things that we need to learn to live with, and that's what we need God for. If we got it figured out and we got all of, the, all of one answer, it's unlikely that we would continue to rely on God as we do. Another portion of this that's important for you to take away in terms of your medical career thinking is to is to start now talking in your mind with your colleagues about what is the definition of success. Is the definition of success uh, three years and I die like Jesus Christ? We're not Jesus. Uh, is the definition of success 40 years but a long string of injured colleagues behind us as we go through our career? Uh, is the definition of success quantity or quality? And actually, if you talk to most uh, medical missionaries toward the end of their career, most that I've talked to have said the legacy that's the most important legacy that they've left is not the number of surgeries they did or the number of patients they saw in clinic. It's the relationships they built and what legacy they left in their relationships. You can be an incredibly successful missionary surgeon and leave disaster relationships. And your legacy is going to be the disaster relationships. Think about that as you try to decide what is success for me as I enter a career in medicine. Now, the particular medical missions risks, and I'm going to stop in a couple of minutes here and have the required time for... Actually, we have 20 minutes left, so I've got another 5 or 10 minutes before we start questions. Our particular medicine medicine risks are that most of us have been going to school for at least 24 years before we start paying off our debts and consider going to the mission field. Um, What got us successful through those 24 years may not be the same thing that has us be successful as a medical cross-cultural missionary. And you need to get to know yourself well enough to get an idea about that. Most of everything the first 24 years is competitive. I've got to be near the top of my class if I want to do this, if I want to do this, if I want to do this. Once you get into a medical career... If you continue that way of doing things, you, you may persevere and succeed, but it's unlikely people around you will. 
And that's a critical part of understanding thriving through a medical career rather than just surviving. Um, so our personalities are achievement-oriented. Unless we learn to manage those better, uh, we're going to achieve a certain definition of achievement, but not probably the way Jesus would have achieved, if you think about it. The culture we enter in our missions career is a huge effect. In fact, in the handout that you can look up online, you know, the system, the society, and the self are the three major factors we have to deal with as we face risk factors for burnout. The medical system that you enter will be a medical system that you need to learn to adapt to. And if that system is unhealthy, you will likely be unhealthy. If that system is unhealthy and you push back at the system, you may not be liked very much. So don't be surprised if those kind of difficulties and tensions arise. Uh, I know examples from all ends of that spectrum, examples of those who were determined hard-headed to do it their way, and they were powerful enough personalities to do it their way and survive. Uh, there are others who never, ever asserted the, the reality that they were human beings and didn't survive. The healthiest is usually somewhere in between those. And that's where the difficulty arises because the system that you enter, just like your medical school, just like your residency, uh, that system is powerful and our adapt adaptation to it is necessary. And we have to decide where can we compromise and where can we say no in terms of compromising what's wise and healthy. Uh, the mission cultures are different. The church cultures are different. The host culture is different. Uh, all of those things influence your success as a medical missionary, your ability to persevere rather than wear out, burn out, get depressed, anxious, or whatever. And I've emphasized a couple of times that the difference between individual and team success is really critical because uh, most experienced missionaries, there are a lot of them in here, can name, without names, places where there were individuals that succeeded leaving a trail of blood, sweat, and tears behind them on the mission field. So definition of success is important. Okay, primary prevention. I'm going to spend a little time on this. Uh, the handout, which you can have time to read, has a lot more uh, detail on some of these things. But basically... Primary prevention is the most important and the most critical step, like it is for everything in medicine. We tend to do pretty well at learning secondary and tertiary prevention. That's what North American medical people are trained to do. Our being good at primary prevention, which is avoiding the development of a problem, we aren't that good at it. And the price is pretty high. The price is pretty high for us and for those. If you have a population you're responsible for and you spend all of your time in tertiary prevention, you're failing that population. Uh, and that's true for your mission team. It's true for your mission hospital. It's true for your clinics. It's true for whatever. My opinion is my mom at the end of her 37 years as a pediatrician working in a hospital said, if I had to do it over again, I'd go to public health. And she was a very warm, loving person who loved relationship with kids. It was what got her, kept her going. But she was thinking in her mind, this community that I've served for 37 years really isn't a lot better off than when I started. Think about that in terms of the importance of primary prevention. It has to do with preparation. Setting your realistic expectations. 
and comparing your expectations with those that you're joining in whatever team. Uh, if you have the courage to sit down and talk about those ex- expectations, you may turn white with uh, distress. If it's a healthy team that you're entering, your expectations may be close enough so that you are able to succeed without wearing out or burning out. Uh, we, we know this is true in medicine, but we don't do it well for ourselves in our careers, and that is plan to thrive. Don't plan just to survive. If you plan to thrive, it's possible. It can be done. Uh, one, one extreme of planning to, to survive and thrive is, uh, is sitting here with us who early in his career, I'm not going to tell his story. You can get Dr. Adolph to tell his own story to you sometime. Figured out that if he kept going the way he was going, somebody besides his patients was probably going to die or crash and burn. Uh, And he started setting some limits. And those limits were not convenient. They were hard on perhaps other people he was working with in terms of their needing to change their perspective on how to do things. But now... How many? What's the length of your career, Harold, now? At least 43 years of, of persistence, perseverance, and going beyond survival. Uh, they're all different models, and you have to decide what your model is. But if you don't, pl- if you don't get it and plan for it, it'll just happen to you. One of the biggest problems in this process is, is uh, being patient, learning to be patient with yourself, the family, the church, the mission, the hospital. And I don't know why we say we need to be patient with God, but that's a reality that as humans we need to learn to be patient with God. Uh, hearing uh, Bill McCoy last night to me was a perfect example of a model that all of us could emulate. Uh, Willingness, availability, and recognition that I can't do it all. And dependence on the fact that God is really the one responsible. I'm responsible for doing the best I can. And in the best of worlds, I'm responsible for doing the best I can long enough to help lots and lots and lots of people, which is what dealing with and avoiding burnout is about. The secondary prevention, establish early warning system. Uh, Many of us, because of the way we learn to work through medical school and residency, many of us aren't very good self-observers about how we're doing in some of the critical areas, like how we're treating our colleagues and how we're treating our families and how we're treating other important people. The focus is so much on our patients, which is appropriate, that we become desensitized to and less skilled at recognizing the rest of it. You need someone besides a colleague or a superior to help you monitor your state of well-being. Those people, a colleague is going to have a hard time saying, you know, you're getting pretty crispy here. Why don't you take the next week off? I'll cover for you. (laughs) Now, if a colleague is really, really thriving and has lots of extra resources and reserves, they might do that, but that's unusual. A superior may, if they're wise, be able to help you keep yourself in check and stay healthy. But often their responsibility is so broad that it's hard for them to rein you in to stay healthy. So find somebody else besides that. Regular schedule checkup. Uh, if the only time you reevaluate yourself is every fourth or fifth year when you're back on home assignment, uh, I know from Ken Gamble, who's a friend of mine who does missionary mental health in Toronto, if that's the pattern missionary and medical missionaries do, They're basically, uh, this is their pattern. They're wearing out, maybe recover a little bit, 
wearing out, maybe recover a little bit, and the trend is downward, sort of like the Alzheimer's trend, unfortunately. Uh, if you have more regular checkups and interventions, you're more likely to be able to thrive rather than just make it until home assignment. Now, just making it to home assignment is something everybody will do. You will be running out of energy. That's partly why there are home assignments. It used to be called furloughs, but they aren't furloughs. Most of the medical missionaries I know work harder on home assignment than they do when they're in the host country. But at least it's, it's a, a chance. And then decide ahead of time on an exit strategy or a refill strategy. Refill strategy. Uh, the concept of burnout came from rocket science, as you know, and that is a rocket is using its fuel, and when the fuel is gone, it has burned out, and it tends to crash. If there's a way to maintain not running on fumes, which a lot of people do, but running on an adequate tank of fuel, you can persevere and thrive and live much more uh, successfully for a long time. And it won't ha nobody else will make you do it. Maybe your spouse will if they are strong enough. But nobody else will really take responsibility. It has to be between you and God to decide what really is important in terms of, God, how long do you want me serving you? And what is it that you teach me about myself? Our master example, Jesus, sat down by the well when he was tired, asked for some water, did interact in an important way with someone there, but he didn't pretend that he wasn't tired and thirsty. He also frequently, apparently, left the crowds and went off by himself to refill. Uh, that's an important principle to learn. And if you need an excuse, use our Lord as an excuse to do that. Um, tertiary prevention, this is when there's a big problem. Uh, once you're to this point, most people don't make it back to the field. If someone has not just become a little crispy but is truly burned, getting them back is hard. My experience with people who've, and usually burnout they're, you know, develops over years, sometimes over three months. But usually a three-month is much, much more than burnout. Three-month is something big is the matter and something, uh, a crash is pretty severe. People that I've dealt with in member care who have burned out over years, most of them take at least a full year of rest to recover. Many of them require two years of rest to recover. So if you get so far down in your reserves, your engine is overheated, your valves really need a total valve job, what, how, whatever example you want to use. When you get to that point, to think that I can just go off for a weekend and I'm good to go, you'll feel a lot better after a weekend, but you will still be running on fumes. And knowing yourself and having an advocate in your mission agency that knows you well enough to be able to know, you know, where is my tank? My spiritual tank, my emotional tank, my physical tank, my social tank. How am I doing with that? And if that's down to fumes in even one of those areas, then you are in serious trouble. Uh, again, all four areas are required. Now, this is the website that I want you to know of. I'll leave it there long enough for you to write it down if you didn't get a handout or if you want to look it up later. Basically, crossculturalworkers.com is what you need to know. Uh, this began, I believe, at Asbury as a, that was gathering mission mental health resources from a lot of sources. And then uh, Ron and his wife have taken this on as an important ministry. And they've put together an incredible set of resources 
for helping missionaries thrive and survive. What cultural, what cross-cultural workers ought to know? They've got about 30 articles in there about raising children overseas, about singleness, a lot of the issues, and it's very, very well done material, and I highly recommend it to you. Uh, their one on burnout is the one that's primarily in the handout that I gave. And uh, they basically talk about the same things I've talked about, only in a much more practical, self-application way. And the reason that I left that for you to do on your own is because every person is so different in terms of what their vulnerabilities and their needs are that you need to read that article and decide for yourself what is my strategy going to be? What is my prevention strategy going to be? And if I get into secondary or tertiary burnout risk, do I have a plan? Uh, I'm just going to go down toward the end so you can see. I didn't plan to go through these slides, but at the very end, the bottom line is back to what ACGME supports, as well as your faith and your mission, hopefully. That is to prevent and then manage burnout. You have to be a complete person and not a narrow person in your profession. Uh, Again, before all of you got here, I had this part of the room stand up. And 40% of the people in this room... are likely to, as medical students, residents, or practitioners, burn out unless you change the odds by what you do. And it would be great if the odds got down to 20% even, zero. Questions? We have a couple of minutes for questions, ideas, discussions before we are, our time is up. Thoughts? Arguments, disagreements. Do you have any good book recommendations on like reentry? Reentry book recommendations, not off the top of my head. Uh, this, actually, if you go to the this website, they will have some book recommendations. Anybody have a good reentry book recommendation? I know that. You know, Ruth Van Rieken has written about a lot of these topics, and a lot of her books are excellent and uh, worth knowing about. Yes? What does this go, how does it go with what the Apostle says, Paul says about being poured out like a drink offering? Good, good question. So how does this go with being poured like, out like a drink offering? Is Again, that's my question, is is that a real or a false contradiction? Well, my sense is that laying ourselves at the feet of God is one thing. Choosing ourselves to harm and overuse ourselves is another. The vulnerability of being in a hostile world is what's going to happen. You know, the scriptures that we read to begin with said, you will have trouble, you will have suffering, you will be naked, there will be. It's not that those things won't happen or that we yield ourselves to them, but to put ourselves to self-destruct, I don't think Paul or Jesus talked about. So the, the other side of the question is some of you and some personalities will end up your calling, where you are called to work, you're going to get killed. Somebody will shoot you. Does that mean you were wrong? No, not necessarily. I mean, we don't know God's heart and God's plans for our lives. The best we know, I think, from Scripture and from the models we have in Scripture is to make ourselves completely yielded to, to God, but to not self-destruct. 
not to be the one that takes ourselves out by neglecting ourselves. Maybe others have some. That's a, that's an important question and a good one, and that the you know that's why this topic is one of living in those tensions because there are the tensions. Yes, ma'am. I think just to add on to that, we've lived in the mission field for five years as a family, and I think when you get to the point where you're near secondary burnout, for example, I mean if you're bedridden because you have chronic pain or because you're overwhelmed by the amount of need, I think we've then become so much more ineffective because we didn't necessarily be obedient to what God was asking us to do, but we were more overwhelmed and kind of emotionally led as far as, well, there's need here, here, and here. I'm just going to respond everywhere because clearly I can make a difference. And I think it's back to the balance of caring for yourself that we can be intentional and more impactful in the things that God has called us to do. I don't know. So what do you say to be more God-driven and not goal-driven? Hear that? More God-driven being shamed for acknowledging we're human. We should never be ashamed that we're human. God created us to be human. He created us to need sleep. He created us to need exercise, to need rest, to need relationships, to need restoration. And uh, at the end of one of the Koteski's uh, things, they have a a self-inventory. And they basically call it a stewardship inventory. That is, are you being a good steward of yourself and the, and the person God created you to be? If you're not a good steward, then you're not being faithful. Questions, comments, otherwise? I think we have a monitor. Is our time up? Okay. I think our time's up because there's another session that starts soon. So thank you for coming. Look up the link.